Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, ideas, or comments, and Alex is here. He will answer the phone. He just needs your first name. I keep saying first name and where you're calling from. Alex told me, don't tell him where they're calling. He doesn't care. No, anyway, just your first name. It doesn't matter. And Mr. Kelly. Yo. So we're in October. So yeah. So it's pumpkin month and it's Halloween mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Now you have a barn, correct? Uh, Yeah. And yeah. so do you have any bats in your barn? I don't think so. Really? Well, I've had them before, not necessarily inside, but I know when I used to go out, there there would be some flying, flying around. around. I haven't seen any in a while, though. <laughs> Did you hear about the guy in Illinois woke up with a bat on his neck? What? Yeah, uh, a man in his 80s in Lake County, Illinois, which is north up to Wisconsin, north of Chicago, and he actually died of rabies. He refused the treatments, and he wound up dying of rabies, but he woke up with a bat on his neck. Where in the world was he that have a bat on his neck? In his house. What? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about scary. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Dracula's real, huh? Apparently. <laughs> yes. Gee, but buddy. no, we used to see, I used to kind of see bats at night flying around there, but I haven't in a, in a while. Yeah. So, growing up in Ellisville, we see, we used to see bats a lot. Really? But I haven't seen any bats for a long time. And I was hoping you had a picture of a bat on your phone. No, no. <laughs> no. What I do have, and I meant to show you this, I accidentally hit the slow motion button on my phone. And it, I was shooting a a, uh, a monarch butterfly and a hummingbird. Together. Right next to each other. Wow. And then another hummingbird comes flying across the screen, and it's all it's all in slow motion. It's really cool. I'll show it to you. Wow, later. that does yeah. sound cool. We still have a couple hummingbirds. Yeah. I'm, I s- I'm waiting for them all to leave. We still got two or three. This past week, I saw either two or I saw one that came back around to uh-huh. check out the lantana plant. So I, <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell 
let's see, is that the same one or? Right. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, it's really kind of amazing that they're this late. I can't believe I they're still here. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Global change. Yes. Warming, I guess. There you go. All right. This is Saturday morning. We get together and we'll have a discussion about what's impacting your landscape. And uh, should you be doing anything? Well, I'll tell you what. I got uh, the grow lights in my basement plugged up, the timers on them and everything. So I'm going to start bringing my house plants in in the next week or so. And what is a potting mix? And should I improve my soil or does it really matter? Or I got this low spot in my yard. Can I just dump something in there or do I need to mix it in with the existing soil? Uh, should I be doing some pruning? What are all those spider webs on everything? It's unbelievable. And what you do is use the information I share with you, and uh, hopefully it'll help you solidify your options. And, of course, the final judgment on the action you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's producing. Alex has got a kind of a cold, so if... Whenever he answers a phone, if he sounds a little bit different, that's because he's got kind of a cold. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to come around and do a walk and talk. This past week, I was in Webster Groves, great house, great landscape, and a nice lady living there. And then today, after this show, I'm headed to town and country. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As I approached where I was heading, crows were filling part of the sky. The sky was just, you know, it was really like blue-gray, and they were filling the sky with, you know, flight and also with song. A tall building fills a corner at a block, or fills a whole block at the corner of Tucker and Market. All sorts of utility colors on the sidewalks, arrows pointing this way and this and that and everything else. So it's really kind of amazing. Each utility has a separate color. So when they come out and they need to mark wherever their underground stuff is, you can tell this is this, this is this, 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 this. And it's really kind of incredible. Well, the crabapple street trees, well, they've seen better days. And as you look around, the concrete sidewalks give way to granite pavers. And this is the entrance to the Civil Courts building. And it's really kind of a cool, you know, cool building just kind of in general. Planting and all the cutouts of the uh, kind of entranceway include several types of ornamental grasses. Many of them are in flower right now. There's boxwood in there. It must be dwarf boxwood because I rarely see them overgrowing the space at all. And uh, I don't see any recent prunings on them. And they really are a nice, add, or nice texture contrast to the ornamental grasses. The sheriff, excuse me, <coughs> the, the sheriff's, sheriff, uh, St. Louis Vance, stand at attention on the corner of, Mar or actually on market. A sign on one of the benches say, no skateboarding or bicycle riding. Uh, flowering pear trees filled with little marble-sized fruits that uh, were formed from that early spring white flowers that they have. And uh, some of the trees were starting to turn red. And that's one of the nice things about the flowering pear trees is 
the spring flowers and fall color, but uh, the smell when they're in flower, hmm, not so good. Anyway, there was a breeze, at least it felt like it, but uh, the United States and Missouri flags were really kind of hanging down. They weren't moving too much. There's a wrought iron fence area, which has a boxwood inside enclosure, and uh, there's a statue there with a granite listing. And what this is, the statue is a statue of a policeman holding his hat in his hand, and it's in memory of the St. Louis police officers who have given their lives in performance of their duty. And uh, it's just the earliest date that they have. There's like a, a granite area where they etch them in. It's 1863, and the most recent date is 2020. So it was like that, you know, that whole courtyard or entranceway and everything to the Civil Courts building is really kind of unique and interesting. Well, the sky was really starting to wake up and brighten up, and that meant, well, it was time to go. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or one 800 This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, I do have an appointment to walk and talk uh, out in town and country today, so I hope it doesn't start raining until after that's over. But, boy, the ground is pretty dry. I spent uh, last Wednesday, I had a walk and talk in Webster, and when I got home, pretty much watering everything. The lawn, I cut the grass and then I water the lawn because the ground is really pretty dry. It's kind of amazing. And especially if you've got spots in between sidewalks and streets or the strip, you know, the strips along a sidewalk leading up to your front door, that's going to be exceptionally dry and probably even the watering is not going to make it so you're going to have really successful grass in those circumstances. So uh, it's just... Uh, and it doesn't hurt, to be honest with you, to if there is going to be rain and it's coming and you're fairly sure it is, whether it is or not, it doesn't really matter. But if you water first, you soften the ground and that enables the rain to not just run off because if it's your ground is really hard, a lot of the rain can just run off and it doesn't soak that in down in, into the ground to the advantage of your root system. So. That's something to be concerned with. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have phone lines open if you have any questions or concerns. Let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hello, Mike. Hi. Um, Mike, I've got two questions today. The first one is about poinsettias. I had gotten four or five at Christmas time, and I left them in their pots and planted them outside. And they're gorgeous, but they're totally green. I'd like to try and do the right thing so that they'll brighten red for the Christmas time. Can you tell me how to do that? Basically, you're going to bring them inside, of course, and just make sure that they go through a sequence of, you know, about 12 hours of light and then 12 hours of dark. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to duplicate what the environment is, where they're from. And I think they're from southern Mexico. So this time of year, that's why those bracts turn colors, and they turn colors so they can get pollinated by the insects and everything that is down there. So that's what you need to do is kind of set them off, you know, and it's a lot of work. I won't fool you. But uh, what you can do is if you've got uh, a place in your basement you can do some grow lights, you can just get a timer 
get some grow lights and just run them for 12 hours and then have them shut off for 12 hours. So you don't have to put them in closets or do all that other stuff. Now, do I need to water them during this? Yeah, I definitely want to make sure that they, I mean, they're still alive and viable and everything else. So it's not like an amaryllis bulb that you let go totally dry during this, let's say, dormancy or hibernation or whatever it happens to be, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, you've got, I mean, they're still viable and alive and you got to keep them healthy. And, a, and about, Mike, how many weeks do I need to do that? So I'm trying to time it so that that I start this uh, 12 hours dark, 12 hours light. So around Christmas time is when they turn red. Well, they're going to be turning red prior to that, and they just don't all of a sudden overnight turn red. So it's going to be a slow process. So uh, it, was, it, it just depends upon the individual plan, individual circumstance, but plan on probably six or eight weeks of doing that. Okay, so what, you think I could start them like in a, a week or two and get it all set up? Right, exactly. Okay, and my second question is, I'm very blessed that we've had a really good year um, of the yard, and it's looked excellent everywhere but the very front yard where my great big dog has pulled up some of the grass in just right where you walk in the door, right? So is there, and so we've got their spots. And he hasn't dug down where the, he's gotten the dirt up. He's just torn off all the grass. What can we do to make it look just decent <laughs> until the spring? Because they're coming to air or core aerated right. now. Um, that's supposed to be done next week. I mean, it, can I still buy sods anywhere? Uh, sod should be available if you've got a cool season lawn, like a fescue or bluegrass. Right. So yes, that should, we have. you know, that should be it. And what it is is, you know, I have the that same kind of problem. Only I don't have a dog that does it, but the neighbors' dogs, when they walk them, the uh-huh. strip between the sidewalk and street, what right. they do is they mark that territory. And so with their back leg, they scratch and scratch and scratch. So I end up with a lot of sedum out on my, you know, sometimes in the street and the sidewalk right. and everything else. So. That's what the dog's doing. For whatever reason, there's some kind of scent there that that is causing him to want to mark that territory, saying, this is my territory. You stay out of here. Well, now, so what do I do, Mike? Do I, I mean, it looks like there's dead grass all over where the spots are. Right. So do I, I pull that up first? Well, you can just turn that over or work that in, the, you know, into the ground and then probably add a little bit of compost, an inch or so, as you're turning this over, and then okay. lay this new sod down on top of that. But to be honest with you, the smell is probably still going to be there, and he may mark that, you know, the new sodded area as well. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Your show is just the highlight of my weekend. <laughs> well, thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Okay. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, this is a time of year where your, let's say, summertime bulbs, your cannas, your caladiums, your elephant ears, all those type things, the gladiolas, the dahlias. It's uh, sometimes, you know, people say wait until the frost nips them before you sort of like uh, dig them up. But you don't have to do that. What I've already started to do, because I have several different pots uh, with cannas and uh, elephant ears, 
Uh, so I don't have to do it all at once. I just do one or two pots a week, and I just take them in the garage. I tip them on their side. I pull everything out. I shake all the soil off the bulb, and uh, then I put that soil just in tubs that I store over for the winter time. And then I just leave the bulbs. I keep let the foliage stay on them for a while because it doesn't really matter. And then I just let the bulbs dry out after I've shaken all the soil off of them. And uh, today I'll probably do one or two more pots. And it's just, you know, it's a really kind of a long, involved process, but it's something that you need to do generally. But then when I say that, there's a couple houses in my neighborhood who leave their cannas. They're planted right along the side of the house, and it's on the south side of their house, and they just leave their cannas in the ground all year long. So I don't know if the elephant ears could survive that. And as you know, as a uh, another house that's very close to me that I always call the the, ben, the banana canna farm, uh, they basically they pull their stuff up every year, and they've been doing it for a long time. And they've added elephant ears to their bananas and canna, so they've got quite a you know scenario there. It's really at Morgan Ford and Federer if you're interested in seeing the banana canna farm. And uh, make sure that you start any kind of dead branches or anything on your trees or shrubs. If you can have access to them, get rid of them because it's, you know, it offers a potential problem uh, or an invitation for potential problems. So just you know, kind of keep that in mind. And also, a uh, lady called last week and she was worried about spider webs all over everything. My mugo pine and a couple other plants, some of my boxwood, have a lot of spider, you know, spider webbings, but uh, it really is not problematic. And uh, if it really bothers you aesthetically, you can use a, a stick or something. Or sometimes people say, well, just use a, you know, a shot of water. But a lot of times it's difficult to kind of wash them all away with water. And this is a time of year where if you have newly installed trees, put some let's say, fencing or something around it to keep the rabbits and everything from gnawing on the bark in the lower part of the trunk because they can really do some problems. And as I said before, the soil is dry, so keep watering not just necessarily newly installed trees and shrubs, but the existing ones as well to keep them healthy going into wintertime because dry soil going into wintertime is the worst possible thing for the plant material. And so that's probably when you just go ahead and take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, realize that if you do have conifers, so in other words, plants with needles, that uh, this is a time of year where you're going to have some of the interior needles. So in other words, not the ones at the end of the branches, but closer down towards the center, you're going to be turning brown and dropping. But that's exactly what it should be doing this time of year. Let's head over to Mary's house. Hi, Mary. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about Timberwood Nursery and Tree Service. Uh, they came out and had to redo what another arborist did. They're reasonable they were knowledgeable. They gave me more information about things to keep my plants, my trees health, healthy. So I just wanted to give a thumbs up to Timberwood and thanks. For yeah, Timberline. Timberline. Yes, right. they are. They are so 
they took their time. There was no rush. You will not you will not be disappointed in them. Thank you so much, Mike. Well, great. Thanks, Mary. Too. Okay. Bye bye. Yep. And now let's go to another Mary Jard. Hi, Mary. Um. Hi, Mike. Um. Hi. I ha- hi. I-, I have a sweet gum tree in my yard. It's near my house. It's old. It's very very tall. And I just came into some money, so now I can get it trimmed. And I want to know, I'd like to trim it back as severely as possible without killing it. (laughs) So, you know, I just want to know, like, I hear you're not supposed to top trees, but if I tell them to top the tree and trim all the branches back, is that going to kill it? If it does, how long will it take or will it eventually grow back? I just want to bring it down without actually destroying it. Well, anyway, you know, cutting back severely, like what you're talking about, what it does is eliminate leaves because the branches you've cut off no longer has any leaves. Now, the tree's health and longevity and everything else is related to the foliage, whether it's needles or whether it's regular leaves or not. And when you eliminate that, what that does is nutrients and moisture come up from the ground. They go to the leaves you know, when it's, you know, leafs leafing out and even on evergreens and everything else during the growing season, that uses sun with those nutrients and moisture to make chlorophyll, and that's the food to keep the tree healthy. So when you eliminate that, then you basically are sort of like truncating its life. Well, okay. So is there any way to trim a tree back without hurting it? Yeah, I mean, you can... Uh, tree service, and if they if they're arborists and they know what they're doing, can selectively take some of the branches out. But uh, so that's about all you can do. I mean, you can cut them back to a certain point, but you can't stub them back because that's where the trouble comes from. Well, if I were to um, trim this as much as I could, is it better to do that at the end of the growing season, like around this time of year, or is it better to do it in the spring when it's trying to bust out anyway? Basically, the time to do it is when the foliage starts changing colors and falling off all the way up until the new growth begins in the late winter, early spring, depending upon our weather. So you've got about four or five months to do it. For a sweet gum tree, that's the time you want to do it. For like, If it was a maple or a birch or a beech, you want to do it in the summertime. But sweet gums, you want to do it during the winter dormancy. So I should wait. If I am going to do it, I should definitely wait till like November, December. You don't have to wait. I mean, it's really, they're headed towards dormancy now. I'm not saying you should rush out and have it done right now. But, yeah, you've got a Mm -hmm. considerable amount of time to get it done. And with, uh, you know, not to the adverse advantage of the tree just in general. So if I if I have them top it, is that going to mean instant death, or does that mean it'll just peter out over the next growing season? Uh, it's not going to mean instant death, but it's going to mean there's no branches there to push out any leaves, so you're going to see some kind of strange branches coming off trunks and coming off some other major branches, and those are just going to, I mean, they may survive, but the tree's headed downhill. Most tree services, if they're reputable, are not going to top your tree like what you want. They're just not going to do it. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, I guess maybe I should just take the whole thing down and grow a new one. I'm just not sure what to do. It's way too tall. The branches are, like, over my roof, and I yeah. don't want it there, you know? Right. So, I mean, having a tree removed, maybe that's to the advantage of uh, just the overall scenario. But just realize that spot where the tree was 
and you know going out X amount of feet from where the trunk actually went into the ground, it, you're going to have real difficulty growing anything in that space. So you're not going to be able to plant a tree mm-hmm. right back in that location. Wow. So I so this is this is distressing because I want to just trim it back. If I take it down, then I can't replace it. So this is a a rock and a hard place. It feels like. Yeah, it sounds like you should move. <laughs> I don't think that's happening. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Yeah. I said uh, you don't see trees being t- you know deadheaded or topped severely any place anymore at all. So, they, I mean, this the arborists just don't do it because it's to the disadvantage. It's something that you want, but you don't quite understand what, you know, branches and everything else actually mean for the overall health of the tree. Let's go over to Kathleen's yard now. Hi, Kathleen. Hi. Hi. I have a beautiful magnolia tree. Stays green all year long because of where they planted it. We planted it uh, about seven years ago. But it is way, way, way too close to the house. It's Ooh. only about 18 inches. Whoa. We need to move it. When is the best time to move that type of a tree? It stays green all year because it's in a sheltered spot right by our dryer vent. Um, so we know it's got to be moved. Um, and like I said, it wasn't a mature tree when they put it in. So let's say it's seven between seven and ten years old. So I don't want I want to move it. We need to move it. We're probably going to just move it maybe ten feet away to the middle of our front yard. But when is the best time to do it on that type of a tree? Basically closeness to a dryer vent or house or whatever it is has nothing to do with this. This is a variety of magnolia that stays evergreen. So it doesn't have anything okay. to do with location or anything else. But, you know, this is a tree where the root ball and everything else is going to be extremely heavy. And to move that tree is going to be extremely expensive. So mm. that's I mean, what I was afraid of. But we know we need to get professionals to do it. Right. But I want to make sure that we schedule it at when would be the best time to keep the tree as healthy as possible. Yeah. I mean, with this, basically, this is a southern magnolia. This is about as far north as they're able to grow. And so consequently, you know, digging it up, tearing up the root system and everything else, whether it's going to be able to survive that is going to be somewhat of an iffy, you know, iffy circumstance. So just as long as you understand that and realize that, then uh, I would say probably my tendency would be because it is evergreen, I would probably wait until we're coming out of wintertime and uh, maybe do it around Valentine's Day or Ides of March or something like that as opposed to going into winter because going into winter for our uh, an evergreen, if we have a severe winter, it could really do some major damage to it. Okay. That answers that question. So when I start pricing and calling people to get estimates, I just need to mention that we want to do it in uh, early spring. Right, exactly. Okay. Thank you. I enjoy your show whenever I get a chance to listen to it. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Two questions, of course. You can't call in unless you ask two questions. (laughs) Uh, If 
I cut my rutabaga. Uh, they're done. Can I cut them off, or uh, do I need to leave them there for the seed? I would probably just leave them. So, in other okay. words, the seeds may drop and may, but also they're going to be, you know, they're going to be seeds for birds and everything else. So you can cut them off if you want, but you don't need to unless you just. Okay. It's really well, up about, to you. A volunteer that come back every year. Right. The other question, I know you've explained this endlessly, but I still haven't got it in my head. Uh, pre-emergence, I have maybe two dozen huge marigolds come up every year in the garden. Um, of course, there's lots of weeds got in there, too, that I'm not good at keeping all of that done. Can I put pre-emergence down? Would that kill the marigold, too? Anything that's coming up from seed, whether it's lawn, whether it's anything, whether flowering-wise, uh, pre-emergent kills. It creates okay. a chemical barrier, and when the seed germinates, it just kills it right at that point. Okay. I guess I'm still looking for answers. I can't possibly pull all these weeds uh, <laughs> out, but the marigolds for maybe four or five years come back repeatedly a uh, huge amount. Um Okay. Yeah, you, that's kind of interesting because marigolds generally don't self-seed and come back like that. So the fact that yours are, that's, you know, kind of great. Now, what Whatever you, kind, uh, yeah, they're like a foot across at least. There's just so many of them. Uh, they come back every year great. in my garden. And so, uh, but they also, the weeds have got very bad in them. Right. Okay. No, no answers, but just simply crawl around pulling forever. Right, exactly. Or... You can take something like Roundup and just go in there and just paint it onto the weeds to kill the weeds off. Oh, and that way it won't get onto your marigolds. There's probably a couple hundred weeds in there. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. No easy answer. Thank N you. Nope. Nothing in the outdoors is easy. No getting around it. Let's head over to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Hi. I have... Uh, it's about four and a half, five foot tall in about a 14-inch pot. Is it too late in the season to put it in the ground? Uh, no, not at all. This is the ideal time to do it. So the ground is warm. Then the plant gets to go, like, asleep for the wintertime. So that's actually fall is the best time to do any kind of installation of any kind of woody plant. Now, what, what, what was the name of the plant that you had? It was a canna lily. Oh, canna lily. So uh, that's going to be, it's going to be somewhat marginally hardy. And so just make sure that if it doesn't come back, it's just because of our weather and everything else. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. But this is, <clears throat> this is the ideal time to do it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Trees are starting to drop their leaves. Now, don't let them pile up on your lawn because it can cause real problems. So whether you run over the top of them with your mower and you know, bag them or whatever you want to do, or if you rake them, just don't let them pile up onto your lawn because it can really cause some fungus problems for your lawn, regardless of the type of lawn that you have, whether it's zoysia, fescue, or bluegrass. Now let's head over to Max's yard. Hi, Max. Hey, Mike, this Hi. is Max. I got a comment to make about the lady that was going to plant a magnolia tree in her front yard. 
Okay. The one that was trying into, to move it away from her house. Right, right. I moved into a house that had like a 20-foot magnolia tree in the front yard. And I lived there about 15 years. And that tree was a pain. <laughs> it was continually <laughs> dropping leaves, cones, and I don't know whatever I was dropping. I would clean my yard, and the wind would come, and it was full of stuff. Right. And under underneath the tree, the grass wouldn't grow. I mean, I hope she thinks about putting it in a backyard, maybe. Because <sighs> that tree, I mean, I wish more arborists or people would recommend people not put them in the front yards. Right. Or just and, in general. I mean, those leaves are like plastic, and they don't break down at all or anything else. And <laughs> they are. I mean, we're on the northern edge of that, and so they're much more prone to being dropping leaves you know, on a regular basis. Exactly. I mean, I thought about moving it, but it was so big, so I ended up having to take it down. It was such a time saver after I had it down. <laughs> and, and you mentioned my other second favorite tree, a sweet gum tree. <laughs> I mean, when I go walking in the subdivision, a couple of neighbors have these sweet gum trees. Right. I mean, I love their leaves, but they're so treacherous on sidewalks and streets. You got to be so careful. I guess maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> But uh, another that's another tree for a backyard next to your mimosa tree. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, I'll get off my soapbox. Thanks, Mike. All right, great. Thanks, Max. Yeah, I mean, certain trees in certain locations, I mean, it's still they're going to be problematic. There's no getting around it. So there's certain trees that, to be honest with you, uh, really shouldn't even be, you know, let's say installed. Let's head over to Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. How are you? Hey Mike, really enjoy your show. When is the best time as the um, as the like hostas start breaking down? When's the best time to clean that up? Should should I leave those through the winter to kind of protect the roots, or should I clean it up before uh, the winter comes and and mulch them? Well, as soon as the you know they start discoloring and or you know basically looking kind of uh, you know on, along the perimeter and stuff, you can cut them down at that point. And uh, you can put a couple, you know, a couple inches of mulch uh, over the top of them at that time. Leaving the leaves for the wintertime really is not to the advantage of the hosta whatsoever. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, and uh, what about the same as um, like uh, hardy hibiscus or um, your, um, uh, oh, what are the other ones with the big balls, uh, hydrangeas? Same thing. Well, there. I mean, you're talking about perennials versus a shrub. A hydrangea is a shrub, so okay. with the hydrangea, depends upon when it's you know blooms. If it's a summer bloomer versus a spring bloomer, then you can do the pruning. But what you can do this time of year, as the flowers have sort of finished or when they finish, just cut the flowers off, and then uh, you don't have to do any pruning going into winter time at all. And you can do some pruning if you want to as we come out of winter in the early spring before the new growth foliage starts emerging. Okay, wonderful. I appreciate the advice. Again, really enjoy your show. Thank well, you. Well, thank you, and I greatly appreciate you having me on your show. Okay. Let's head over to Jennifer's yard. Jennifer, how are you? Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi, I was calling. We just discovered we have a little group of fruit trees along the side of the edge of the yard, and one of the fruit trees we put in this year was a brown turkey fig tree, and it's the most amazing tree. It produced like, I don't know, 40 or 50 little figs this year. Really? And it actually got, yeah, it's just tremendous. And um, 
and it fell over during that big wind we had like five weeks ago, and it snapped at the base, which you would think would kill a tree, but it didn't. We propped it up, and now we have it tied up, and it's as green as it ever was, and it seems to be healing and, you know, put all kinds of medicine on it, whatever. And um, so my question then is, because we've gone to so much trouble with this tree, and it is a prolific, um, you know, provider of tasty fruit, um, is there a best way to overwinter it? Should I? Should we maybe never have put it in the ground and left it in a pot, or should we? Is it okay to actually just put like I don't know, like chicken wire around it and stuff it full of I don't know hay or something? I don't know what's good for this tree I over was, winter. You know, just go online and look at the you know, let's say stabilizing or tying a tree, and uh, okay. this, and that that's the best way. So in other words, you're going to do some stakes and you're going to run some, you know, let's say uh, lines parallel to the ground, and you want to have a uh, let's say, a piece of hose so the trunk doesn't get rubbed. But if it got snapped off, for it to recover and actually come back is going to be a very, un, you know, very iffy circumstance. I know, but it's, it actually has. Like, that happened like five weeks ago. This tree is producing all kinds of fruit. The, green, the leaves are green and everything. Right. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it does over winter. Like you said, like, will the winter take it down? Right. But so far, I mean, knock wood, you know, it's been great. <laughs> I, I just, I think we're going to plant another one in the spring, depending upon how hard it is to overwinter, because they're amazing. Yeah, in the Hill neighborhood, there's all kinds of figs, you know, being grown in people's yards. So really nice. Yeah. So it's yeah. a really kind of a neat tree. I know, like we got one peach off of this tree, and we bought it with the peach on it, so that didn't count. And then we got <laughs> no apples and no plums and no nectarines, but the fig is like, I can, I got it, Mom. I'll do it all. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Mike Miller, Thank K, and Morris Garden Hotline. See you after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome to the Garden Hotline. Tip of the trial hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, is your Mm -hmm. yard headed towards dormancy? Uh, A little bit, yeah. Yeah, there are a couple of plants that have uh, dried up and gone away, basically. Uh, But we did just get some pansies and put those out, so those are looking very good. Really? So we got those, and we... We spent uh, last weekend planting those a little bit. They look good. Perfect. So it's kind of a mix right now. Uh, we got some mums and put those out in the area that used to be sunflowers and wildflowers. Well, so we're kind of transitioning. All right. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it is. It still looks very nice. And uh, like I said, we still have a hummingbird, some butterflies, and now some of the other birds are starting to come back, the cardinals and, and those that kind of... They weren't around much in the summer, I guess, with the hummingbirds. Right. Uh, but now they're starting to come back. And it's amazing how quiet it is now without the hummingbirds. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're they're always making noise. Yeah. There's always a couple of them cheeping, that are, you know. Cheeping. Yeah. And now it's like really quiet there. So, it's, yeah, it's a nice transition time of year. Well, great. Well, yeah. perfect. Sounds good. You bet. And, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection Caring for the ups and downs for annuals, as Mr. Kelly said, they just got some uh, some pansies. We had some pansies we got a couple weeks ago. Uh, the heat really got uh, really knocked a couple of them out. So unfortunately, uh, that's the way it goes. And uh, that's you know plant material you're never going to have necessarily a hundred percent success. 
So you just kind of live with the good stuff, and if something doesn't make it, well, that's kind of okay. That's the way it goes. How about your bulbs? You got daffodils and tulips? No, don't plant them yet. It's too early. Your edibles, your ground covers, your house plants, uh, your lawn, your perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. And perennials, if you're planning on transplanting or uh, dividing any of the perennials, any of the ones that are not flowering, this is a fine time of year to be doing it. So, but any of the fall bloomers, that type of stuff, don't don't do not do that this time of year. But uh, any of them, like the peonies or whatever, the iris, those type plants, this is a time to divide and transplant to new locations or whatever it happens to be. And please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take to have success. And it's strictly going to be offered to you to maybe consider. And across the big board is Alex. He's producing. He pushes the buttons, answers the phone. When you call, he just needs to have your name, and then uh, he'll get you on the list. I spend the weeks doing landscape consulting, and uh, today, after the show, I'm headed out to town and country. And actually, as a house, I was at like 20 years ago when the people first moved into the house. So uh, lately, I've had a couple of those that uh, I was at their house quite a while ago, and they're having me come back and just kind of review or whatever it happens to be. So whether it's an aesthetic thing, problem solving, or just advice on the plant material, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number, and you can contact me, and we'll set up a time where I can come to your home and do a walk and talk. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial, well, about a little bit over a month from now, on Saturday, November 6th, from 530 to 8 o'clock, the Green Center... Uh, they're basically they're getting to be able to do this again, the Fall Fire Festival, and it's going to be back. And a family and friends, the annual Fire Festival on Saturday, November 6th, as I said before, uh, you can, an evening under the stars, listening to music, watching amazing fire performers, and warming up around the bonfire, having some s'mores, visiting an art exhibit by St. Louis artists, and kids' activity station and all this other stuff. Beverages are included in the ticket price, and there's going to be food trucks there as well. We've done this a couple years. So if you're interested, the Green Center is in University City, and you can just contact them and get the tickets and everything else. So as if you get them in advance, you're going to save some money. So here's the number for the Green Center, 314-725-8314. Or you can go to info at thegreencenter.org. And like I said, this fire festival, <laughs> it's really kind of cool because by early November, the weather started to get uh, kind of chilly. And so to get out there and see these fires and stuff, it's just like, whoa. It's, we've really had a good time the times we've gone to this. So anyway, the Green Center's Fall Fire Festival, November 6th. So again, Info at thegreencenter.org. They get the tip of the trowel today. Let's do a call or two before we take a break. Let's go over to Laura's house. Hi, Laura. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. I have a question. I've got, I think it's called powdery mildew. It's on my peony bushes, mm -hmm. my Japanese maple, 
um, it's just all over a lot of my plants. Is that going to hurt them or can I spray something to get rid of that or what do I need to do? Basically, don't let it bother you. It really doesn't hurt the plants. It's always, you know, near the end of the season after they've, let's say, performed and after what it does, you know, we worry a little bit about it because it kind of covers the foliage and does that have an impact on the amount of food that they're able to make? But it's always near the end of their growing season, so no, don't worry about it. It's just something that is not really necessarily good to look at. But like with your peonies, once it starts to get that on there, you can cut that foliage off. Just get rid of the foliage. Just don't you know cut it and let it drop and stay there. Okay. And you're gonna, I have one but, other question. Oh, but uh-huh. also, Go even ahead. though you clear it away, you're still going to get the powdery mildew next year. There's no getting around it. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, the elephant ears, uh, do I wait to the uh, vegetation like wilts down or something, or when do I dig those up? Yeah, you can really uh, do it get... whenever you want to. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people will say or professionals will say, uh, wait until the frost nips them or wait until they wilt down or whatever. I just prefer to do it while they're still, you know, kind of at the end of the season, I've already started to dig some of mine up. And uh, then I put them in the garage, let them dry, pull them out of the pots, you know, shake all the potting mix off of them or, you know, shape the soil off Uh of them, let them dry. Then I cut the foliage off at that time, and then I put them in paper bags and then bring them inside and put them in the basement. Okay. I I did that last year and uh, and saved some, and I then transplanted them this spring, and they all came up. So I, I... I have a hosta that I'm wanting to move. It's called Big Blue. It's humongous. Mm-hmm. And uh, should I wait on that until the uh, frost gets set down, or should I go ahead and try moving that now? You could move it now because it's really at the end of the season. Even though the foliage is not showing signs of heading towards decline, the days are getting shorter. The, you know, the, Hopefully the temperatures are going to start to get cooler. So you could, you uh-huh. could do it now. Okay, well, thanks so much, Mike, and you have a good day. You do the very same thing. And let's go over to Jackie's yard now. Hi, Jackie. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. A couple questions. Um, One's a Florida question. I became a snowbird this last year, and I have a patio in my backyard that was covered with weeds. Dug it all out, cleaned it up, looks great. A neighbor sent me a picture a week ago. You can't even see the patio. It's all grown over with weeds again. Is there anything I can put on when I leave in March that would prevent all these weeds from coming back every year? Uh, it all depends on what type of weeds they are. If they're coming back and they're perennial weeds, you know, that's, you know, that's going to be problematic. But, uh, you know, other than, you know, like kind of treating them with, you know, a pre-emergent and a post-emergent both, and, but the fact that you're talking about it's multiple months, uh, yeah. the chances of not having any more weeds, you know, being invasive is going to be minimal. Okay. You can't even see the patio. It's just gone. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I didn't even know there was a patio back there. It was, you know, not a new house, but we you know, brought a house. Not, didn't even know it was back there. <sighs> okay. Second question is regarding um, butterfly weed perennial. I bought one from a reputable garden shop on the September 22nd, and it's turning yellow. I, you know, I planted it in the sun, in the back. 
why did I overwater it, underwater it? Is it because it's new and I just put it in, but it's yellow and I have a chrysalis on it or on another one of my plants and it's like, what's going on at this one? My butterfly weed died. Yeah, it's it's probably just a transition. You know, it's coming out of a, a retail nursery circumstance and ideal circumstance, the place you put it in, it's just not the ideal situation. So it's just probably going to sleep. I wouldn't worry too much about it. So wait till next year. And is a butterfly weed annual better than a butterfly weed perennial for butterflies? Well, perennials is going to create a colony or create, they're going to add more. An annual butterfly weed, I don't know that particular plant, to be honest. Yeah, because they said, you know, you get more monarchs with an, an annual butterfly weed. Well, the, and I didn't, I've never, I mean, I don't know. My neighbor's an organic garden. She just told me what to go buy, and I did. And they said, well, maybe, you, you know, something else. So, yeah. Well, I'm waiting for my monarch to, uh, I'll say, hatch. She's been in there almost <laughs> uh, 13 days. So All I'm right. waiting. He's still green. And I've got, um, by the way, I'm getting a lot of hummingbirds. Perfect. Well, great. So, okay. I'll try a pre emergent next year, at least. Maybe it'll give me some time, but. Right. Okay, thank you. Sure. Thanks, Jackie. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, concerns, or comments. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we have phone lines open. If you have questions, concerns, comments, ideas, or whatever, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Josie's. Hi, Josie. Yeah, hi. hi. I have a few questions for you. Okay. Uh, is it okay, is it time to uh, move a, a, a small crepe myrtle now, or should I wait till spring? It's probably still blooming, isn't it? The little one, they're, they're little, very little, and they haven't bloomed yet. Okay, so I would probably think, since it is a summer bloomer, even though it isn't blooming right now, I'd wait in t- until springtime to do it. I don't know how small are they. Oh, they're about a foot foot high. Uh, then I would say go ahead, just make sure you get adequate root system water them the night before, so uh, you can you know keep as much soil attached to the root system as possible, and then you go ahead and move them. Or ideally, you could wait until let's say sometime in mid March and do it at that time. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, another question. Uh, my backyard is just like getting overrun by chickweed. What can I do for that? Basically, it's a pre-emergence. So a pre-emergence you're going to have to be putting down uh, when the forsythia is in bloom because chickweed's a you know, summer, let's say a summer lover, it likes the heat. Okay. So for Cynthia, we're talking spring. Right, exactly. Early, early spring. Right. That's, uh, you know, the pre-emergent. Okay. I got you there. And one other question. I have a banana tree plant in a pot. Can I keep it and cut it back and keep it in the pot? You can leave it in the pot. You can't leave it outside. Right. I know that. Okay, yeah. You can cut it back and just watch out. The sap of banana plants will stain your clothes unbelievably. Okay, and should I put it in my garage or should I bring it in the basement area? Uh, the basement's going to be better because your garage is probably uh, going to get cold. below freezing. 
Okay. And I need to water it sometimes? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Okay. Well, thank you. You answer all my questions. Sure. My pleasure. And let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hey, good uh, good morning, and thanks for your service. Long-time caller, listener, first-time caller. And that uh, that stain from banana banana palms is also the same as elephant ears. That'll that'll ruin your clothes too. <laughs> True. I have an I have an area between a driveway and a sidewalk that uh, grass won't even grow. Needs weeds definitely grow in there. But uh, I'm trying to think of something else I could put in there that would uh, does doesn't need a lot of water and um, will look green besides something plastic. Uh, uh, basically, look at some of the varieties of sedum, S-E-D-U-M. There are several different varieties, and uh, they're tough, they're durable, and uh, that's probably what I, that's what I have between my sidewalk and street. Good. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. And like I said, there are several different varieties of sedum, so personal choice. Some of them have a purplish leaves, some of them have green, and some of them have a bluish green. There's just many different, and just choose... It may be even a blend. You don't have to do just a mono stand of a single one. I think that's a great call. Appreciate great. that. Sure. Thank you. And now, and also what I do with my sedum is I mix in some sweet alyssum. Sweet alyssum is a plant that uh, basically self-seeds. So it you know, will come back every year by just dropping seed that you know germinates the following year. Uh, small clusters of white flowers that have some fragrance to them. Now, sometimes they get a little aggressive and kind of overgrow the sedums, but the sedum doesn't seem to mind because, it's you know, finally the, the sweet alyssum will kind of disappear, and then the sedum will be there for the rest of the winter time. So anyway, let's head over to Amy's yard. Hi, Amy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've been wanting to start a indoor garden for the winter um, in my basement, and I've been looking at different things. I'm really overwhelmed with lighting, like the, like what kind of lights I should get for like doing lettuce, spinach, you know, just leaf, green leafy vegetables. Basically, you know, I mean, you can go to the big box stores and just get the fluorescent tubes for, yeah, I mean, they'll call them grow lights. So... That's probably the best thing to do. The secret is, too, also to make sure that the, the let's say, the fixture, the fluorescent fixture is only a couple inches above the stuff that you're trying to grow. So you don't want to have it like four feet above. So, in other words, it's got to be on a table or whatever it happens to be. And so it might take some engineering on your part. So, I mean, if they're on a shelving unit and I put the shop lights on a chain and raise it up as the plants grow, that, I mean, that would, that would work. Right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. So, but as far as like lumens and um, temperature, like I, I've seen things that anywhere from like 5,000 to 6,500 6, Kelvin to, you know, with like the higher the lumens, the farther away you put the lights. Do you have like a recommendation for like no, I, I mean, that's just that's probably getting a little bit more technical than what you need to worry about, to be honest. Okay. All right. I, you know, there's just so much information about there, like different exactly. lights. And, like, you start reading into it, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm picking out the wrong lights. For my <laughs> <laughs> no, just, uh, just, you know, as long as you're, let's say, on top of it and you're watching it, just... 
you know, just be objective, and that's about all you really need to do. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. I mean, we can make things Alrighty. super complicated, and uh, there's no reason to do that. I mean, certainly there's going to be some things that are necessary, but, uh, oh, well, let's go over to Joe's. Hi, Joe. Hi. Um, I have some of that sedum in a front flower bed, and I'm just wondering, does that ever have to be pruned? Uh, basically not. I mean, uh, it's tough. It's durable. It depends upon the varieties. I mean, there's something called, there's one variety called Sweet Autumn or yeah, Autumn Joy. Autumn Joy gets uh, pretty long. So usually when they finish blooming, they're, you know, budded now, starting to flower right now. When they finish that, then you you can cut them back down because they get, uh, let's say, uh, 12 inches or so tall cut them back down to like two or three inches. But for the most part, the sedums are like carpet. They grow right on top of the ground, any place between like an inch or a half inch, all the way up to four or five inches. So, no, they don't need to be pruned. Okay. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some phone lines open, so give us a call. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Alex, could you do some rewinding? (laughs) Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. Uh, The lady that called, she was asking about chickweed. For some reason, I was thinking she was saying crabgrass. The chickweed, if she has a problem, when you're going to put the pre-emergent down with chickweed is not when the forsythia is in bloom, it's going to be in late August, mid to late August. So chickweed, pre-emergent goes down mid to late August. So that was my mistake. I wasn't paying attention. And I was saying, she was saying chickweed. I was thinking crabgrass. So that was, we'll rewind that and get rid of that. So that was my mistake. I only have one more mistake. And then the garden hotline will be euphonized. Anyway, let's head over to Sally's yard. Hi, Sally. Mr. Miller, really appreciate your show. Um, I have a flower pot that I have cactus in, and I don't know what the scientific name of the cactus is. It's like We call it cattails because it's got a little furry, long tail of a thing. Anyways, um, I keep it in the backyard, and in the summertime, I notice one or two spiders that like to grow in there or make their little webs in there. Anyways, if I, I'm going to get ready to bring it in so the cactus lives through the winter, and I want to spray it with a bug killer, will it kill my plant? shouldn't. I mean, they're okay. two totally different things. Just read the label and make sure temperature-wise and everything else when you spray, but no, it shouldn't be a problem. Okay. If you see the spiders, why don't you just get rid of them? You know. I do, but then something rebuilds. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not really getting well, rid of them. I guess not. Yeah. I, I kill it, and, but then and, a new one takes up. You know, insecticides, sometimes for spiders and spider mites and things like that, it takes a very specific type of insecticide as opposed to a regular, like, we, uh, be a bug-be-gone type thing. So just read the label. Make sure it'll kill spiders. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Bye-bye. And now let's head to Mary's yard. Wow, first time we've talked to Mary in about 15 minutes. Hi, Mary. Hi, I enjoy your show. Um, I don't get to listen very often, and I missed part of it today, so if you already covered this. Um, 
Yeah, creeping Jenny. Um, I want to get rid of a lot of it, and I know people that want it. Is it too late to transplant it now? Uh, and stuff like costas, you know, just your perennials that are pretty hardy that come back every year. Um, is there any we shouldn't transplant right now? No, the, basically anything you can, any perennials that are in bloom now, like mums or asters or any of those fall blooming type things, don't move them now. But anything, uh, the hostas, they bloom in the spring, you know, in the summertime. So anything that's already bloomed, you can, you know, transplant, dig, and that. And the creeping jenny, that's a little bit difficult, you know, to dig it up because, uh, you know, I mean, it's a ground cover, so it's going to be tough unless you just really want to try to do it. It's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be worth the effort. Oh, well, what's sad is it, it's just overtaken this last spring. It was beautiful during the fall and the winter. Um, and in the spring, it was so beautiful, but it just took over my, I had no idea that it was that invasive. Yeah, it um, is. Uh, but I, I got to get it out of there anyway. And somebody wanted some. So, well, you could dig some up and, you know, put it in a pot and, and try to give it to them or put it in a flat and uh, see, you okay. know, but, uh, you know, kind of to, to it's going to be a lot of work. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. It, I, I tried to get it, most of it out of there last spring and it was. You are right. <laughs> OK, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to David Yard. Hi, David. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mike. Um yeah, I uh, was watching a video about the uh, uh, Sahara, and apparently the Sahara Desert was green maybe, I don't know how many thousands of years ago, and it apparently went desert within about 100 years. And thinking about how America has gone through some massive floods, uh, you know, in probably in the last five years in the upper Missouri, uh, there have been just massive floods and a lot of topsoil loss. Uh, the Hurricane Harvey, didn't that wash out? I think it was like 55 inches of rain in two days or so. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Hurricane Ida just ripping across from New Orleans all the way up to New York. Uh, a lot of topsoil is being lost in America. Do you think that topsoil should be included in the infrastructure bill? Oh, uh, boy. I don't know how you could possibly do that because it's, you know, I mean, it's so fragile and it's dependent upon, the like you've described, weather dependent. So I guess it could be, but I don't know exactly how that would actually work. Well, in the past, uh, you remember the Dust Bowl days of going on 100 years ago? Sure. Uh, they, they decided that uh, farmers should not be planting straight down to the creek, that they had to have a buffer. Right. And in the original, I'm trying to think if it was like 10 feet, uh, but uh, in later years, I think in the 1970s, it was brought up to about 20 feet. And, uh, you know, so there had to be a buffer of, of uh, vines and, you know, trees and whatnot to hold hold that topsoil from washing into the creeks. Right. And so, you know, that being uh, said, uh, there can be plenty of, uh, you know, land set-aside programs for agricultural. 
uh, property so that uh, they don't lose their topsoil. Sure. Uh, so, but again, you know, this issue, I mean, it's bad enough that the Republicans are not signing on to the infrastructure bill, but that America is losing a lot of topsoil. And that topsoil going into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, apparently that Hurricane Ida, uh, the, the water temperature in the Gulf of Mexico was between 88 and 90 degrees. It wasn't cool water in the Gulf of Mexico. That's like bathtub water. Right. And uh, so the more of the topsoil that's being sent down to the Gulf of Mexico, the more murky it gets and the more uh, the hotter it gets. Right. Well, thanks, David. I greatly appreciate your ideas. And now let's head over to Bob's. Hi, Bob. Hello, Bob. Yes. Go Uh, ahead. Yes. uh, I've got a question about using walnut. They're actually shavings from a thickness planer, using them as mulch or composting them or killing them in my garden or what can I what can I use them for mm-hmm. rather than just uh, putting them in the trash? You're talking about the hulls that they're around them. No, no, it's it's the actual wood. I've got oh. boards. Boards that I'm—they're uh, rough-cut boards, and I'm finishing them. I'm running them through a thickness planer, so I'm getting their shavings. It's not sawdust; it's a little coarser than that. Okay, you can use it as a you know as a mulch, but just don't take it immediately and put it on top of plant material. You're going to have to like, let's say, go through a process of composting to let it sort of melt down a little bit. Because if you put raw wood on top of plant material. What it can do is it absorbs moisture, and it can, uh, uh, like, prevent nutrients from being available for the plant material. So it's not just uh, the—that's why I recommend people not, like, when a tree service comes and does a lot of chipping, don't put that stuff on your yard or on your landscape because it does more problems than it's going to do good. So you're going to have to pile it up for a couple years— and then after it sort of like breaks down, then you could spread it in your landscape. Okay, so I would be better. I've got a compost, composter, oh, compost pile, so right. I would be better putting it in the compost and letting right. it break down before I try to use it. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Barbara's. Hi, Barbara. Good morning. I want to thank you for your program because I get so educated on Saturday morning. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I have a question for you about a Rose of Sharon tree. Okay. We have a very small one. It was planted when we moved into our house two years ago. And much to my chagrin, I thought that everything that I saw on the Rose of Sharon right now were new buds that were going to open up, and then after they opened, then we could trim them. But I found out that those little buds are seed pods. So I, am, I have hundreds of seed pods on my Rose of Sharon bush, and I want to know when we can trim that back, because my husband would like to trim that and make it a smaller bush. Do we do that now, or are Will we ruined the flowers for next year? Basically, since it's a summer bloomer, you can prune it all the way from the time when the foliage starts dropping off until the new foliage starts coming out in the springtime. So you got about four or five months. So okay. any of the summer bloomers, basically during the wintertime, that's when you can prune them. The spring bloomers, if you prune them now, you're cutting off the flowers for next year. Okay, so I, ours has completely stopped blooming. Right. 
So it would be all right to now um, trim that bush. Yeah, you could do it now. All right. Thank you so much. We enjoy your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. How are you? A couple of reasons I'm calling. I have a walnut tree that is like walking through a yard full of uh, walnuts, okay? <laughs> what do you have to do to walnuts to make them edible? I, I think you just have to, basically you have to get something that takes that hull off of it. So in other words, there's a, the walnuts in the center of it, and it's got this big roundish thing. Uh, when I was a kid, there was actually a thing that kind of like a grinder, and you drop the walnuts down in there, and you turn this handle, and it would basically take that hull off, and then you just let them dry. That's all you basically have to do. Okay. My other question is, I have some of these real long, you know, they, they come, they're nippers, they're, they're cutters for trimming limbs, 10, 15 foot in the air. I have a wall, uh, an oak tree that has got a lot of galls on it. Is it. Would it hurt the tree, or would it be beneficial to use this thing and cut those galls off and throw them in the trash. So you're talking about a pole pruner? That's what. It, yes. Yes. And I mean, you can cut them off. It's, it's not going to make that much difference because they're still going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to get rid of all of them. You're going to get rid of some of them. So yeah, go ahead and do it. I mean, it's good exercise too. Yeah. Well, I, I don't like the looks of them, and I know that uh, it. The tree is about 25 foot tall. Right. So uh, I could go ahead and use that long, long pruner and, and cut them off as best I can. Sure. Because usually they're going to be closer to the tip of the branches as opposed to, you know, towards the center. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? Very good. Got a question about dethatching. I uh, roughed up some grass in front, got a trouble area. Uh, my lawn, it's a mix of lawn. There's some Bermuda. There's, I figured out it's uh, tall fescue, bluegrass. It's a, a Pennington mixed seed stuff. So anyway, it turned brown, so I roughed it up, overseeded again, and I got a ton of dead grass. Do I wait till spring to dethatch and get that old stuff out of there? You should have got the old stuff out before you put the new stuff in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you should have raked all okay. that. Yeah, you should have raked that junk out of there, and that would have made it so the seed that you put down would be in contact with the ground, as opposed to being laying on top of the, let's say, the dead grass that's there. Well, I roughed it up a little bit with the rake, and uh, but then when I went to work it in further is when I got most of the stuff. So I went backwards then, huh, Mike? Yep, exactly. <laughs> all right. Okay, well, next time I'll try better. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, there's no getting around it. So, And, yeah, get rid of the debris, so the grass seed, and hopefully you put a seed starter down with a seed, and you water the, I don't know when you put the seed down, but you got to water it basically daily for almost two weeks, especially because we've had yep. these extended dry periods. Yep, I, so I did it this morning, uh, hoping it's going to rain all afternoon and tomorrow and whatnot. So, right. uh, yeah. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Sure. And now let's go over to Jay's yard. Hi, Jay. 
Hi, good morning, Mike. Uh, I had a question about banana trees. Last year, we had a banana tree that did real well, kept it outside, and in the fall, well, it got up to about five foot tall, and there were a couple smaller shoots on the sides that got up to maybe two or three foot. Uh-huh. Uh, cut those down and just left them in the left the, the pot in the basement over the winter, and then brought the pot out this spring. And the main shoot that got five foot last year did not come back, but the smaller shoots did. But they only grew to about two foot tall, and that was it. They just, I mean, they did well, but never got tall. Is there anything that I need to do different if I'm going to cut those down again this fall and try and keep those going for next year? Well, you can cut them down. I mean, uh, just don't cut them too, you know, too close, and just leave them in the pot. And that's really all you have to do. Why they only got as big as they did? It's a little bit difficult, you know, to say, but it could be the size of the pot too. How large of a pot are they in? Oh, it's probably about fifteen inches across. Yeah, it might be a little bit small, so that it may be having a bonsai impact on your banana. But they should have gotten bigger than two feet, you know. So. And that's what we were curious if we should separate those two shoots that came back this year and put one in a separate pot. No, the other. I would not probably bother doing that. Okay, but should I keep them together and just put them both together in a bigger pot? Yeah, I've probably again put it. Probably in a 20- or 24-inch pot. Okay. We'll give that a try then. Thank you very much. Yep. My pleasure. And now let's go to Joseph's yard. Hi, Joseph. Uh, Yes. uh, I'm calling about, I have two uh, over 100-year-old oak trees in my front yard. And I I, I would like to, uh, there's concern about, a lot of these bigger trees that are, they're just old now and they're coming down in, uh, in our community about people planting like just ornamental trees and we really miss the big canopies associated with these massive trees. Um, my thought is if I wanted to grow um, a couple of trees from these oak trees, what's the best way, uh, you know, can I grow them from seed? I, I would like to do that. No, you can't. Uh, to try to grow them from an acorn that's going to be a waste of your time. You can take cuttings off the end of the branches and get some rooting hormone, and you're going to have to grow them in pots for several years before they're going to be, let's say, established enough from a root system standpoint to be able to be planted in the landscape. What I mean, what do you mean by cutting? Well, like a 18 to 24-inch end of a twig, end of a branch. Oh, okay. And then... Cut it at a 45-degree angle. Go to your favorite garden center. Get some rooting hormone. You're going to dip that cut. So make sure you get the rooting hormone first before you cut. And then dip it into the, you know, dip the cut, brand-new cut, into the rooting hormone. And then put it in a potting mix in a pot for starting plant material. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you. Sure. And, yeah, I mean... To, and then it's going to, like I say, be several years, leave it in the pot and just sink the pot into, you know, a location in your landscape and just leave it there for a couple of years with the top of the pot a little bit higher than the surrounding ground. So you don't want to bury the entire pot. So, Ron, I'm sorry we're not going to be able to get to you today, but uh, thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And I hopefully I don't, you know, when it's going to rain, I don't know. But uh, the ground is very dry. If you don't have a chance, or if you do have a chance, go out and start watering your landscape right now. 
because when it does rain, that'll enable it to penetrate deeper into the ground. Mike Miller, KMWAC Garden Hotline. See you next week. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.